Hey there, welcome to the Mint Measure podcast, where we cover everything related to attribution, incrementality, and marketing analytics. Here we go. Last week, Apple dropped iOS 17 that has new privacy measures, and then Google had an antitrust lawsuit announced in the EU today. So let's talk about privacy stuff and what's happening. I know you have a lot of opinions that differ from a lot of other people in the marketplace. So I think we're going to talk about those things, what's happening, who's being affected, and what this means for advertisers and agencies. Why don't we start with the iOS update? Because I think everyone probably has been called collective trauma from iOS 14 and the absolute havoc that wreaked on everything from reporting to attribution to like optimization, right? Every single person in the industry has had to make major shifts because of this. I think everyone saw this iOS 17 update and saw that they're eliminating some of the click tracking and there's some pandemonium. People were definitely coming unglued on LinkedIn. Yeah, lots of panic. Lots of panic. But here's the thing is, as you look at what they're doing, it's actually not as of a change as like we might initially think. So right now what's happening is that when somebody clicks on an ad, sometimes in that click stream is data that identifies that particular person. This could be a URL string. This could be a hashed email. This could be a Facebook ID, right? There's different ways this happens. And so what Google or what Apple is doing in this latest release is they're detecting these parameters that identify a specific user and they strip them. What they're trying to do is crack down on like the cross-domain tracking, which is like part of the ethos of iOS 14. So they really want to, within Safari or within like messages, wherever you're browsing, remove just the parts that identify a specific user and leave the other things. So there's still more details are going to come out about how they do this, how they're replacing some of these things, TBD on what that final solution looks like. So does this affect brands being able to track conversions after a click and that information, does it also affect like a user's ability to receive targeted ads? The short answer is yes, on both counts. If I don't know that it's a particular user that made a conversion, Apple might amalgamate some of this data together and say, hey, of the million emails you sent, you had a thousand conversions and not tell me which ones converted. But how this is being used currently for customization and personalized ad experiences is that I might get an email and I go to the website and I like add something to my cart. And then like I might get an email message later that has some of my products that I was browsing. Now, if I go back and I click on that email and I go buy the product, this change is going to limit the advertiser's ability to track my particular journey and understand what I did or didn't engage. That's going to be really tough for marketplace sites. Like I'm getting a lot of ads from Timu. I don't know what Timu is, but I assume it's like another AliExpress kind of thing. And that must be really hard for an Amazon or Timu or Walmart.com because now so many items in the marketplace for like niche brands, not as much of a problem for marketplaces. That's going to be really tough. So TBD, like how much of an impact this has, but I think I want to talk about the scope of this for a moment because this sort of like limitation in click tracking is only happening in three environments. So the first place is your messages. So if you have someone text you a link and there's tracking parameters in there, or if you're a text message provider, someone like attentive where you're doing like e-commerce sales, like that tracking is going to be significantly limited. You're not going to be able to see that I sent a text message to Joe and Joe clicked on it and took an action. 
I'm going to have some other degree of visibility of, oh, there were some users who took an action. Yeah. And I mean, if a friend is texting me a link that has a bunch of UTM parameters in it, like, should that, am I going to be identified as that same user that got the ad? That might be of benefit, maybe, for some level of tracking. You probably still want that ad to get credit. But yeah, to some degree, like, that might be beneficial. But from, yeah, like, SMS marketing, that's a death that's, flow. That's really tough. And Klaviyo and other email marketing providers are the next cohort. So the second place outside of messages is in email. So if you're using the default email app, like your iOS device, like it's anytime someone sends you a personalized email, let's suppose that you bought something from a company and they're sending you an offer. Hey, we miss you. Come back, get 25% off your order. And you click through, that is no longer going to be trackable in this new world or at least your particular action. So could that prevent like the, because I know what some says, like the coupon will auto add to the cart. Would that break that? Potentially. So there's a lot here that like is just no. Gotcha. Until this actually takes effect, until we can actually see with real campaign data, it's, it is just a little bit up in the air. But the third place that this click tracking is going to be blocked or limited is when you're in incognito or private browsing. So you open up like one of those private windows, which like, look, I get that. That's an environment where I'm opting out of being tracked and yes. it's like a nice thing. But Safari, web browsing, or anything else that you might do on your iOS to web device is still going to be trackable. Again, there's limitations around cross-domain and things like that. But so this will change the world for some companies. It's going to be much more limited scope than iOS 14. But like e-commerce, e-commerce is going to get bloodied up because they do a ton of email marketing. That's going to be significantly less trackable. They do a ton of SMS. That's going to be hard. But the thing that no one has, I've heard, and not heard anybody else on LinkedIn talk about this, is affiliate marketing. Affiliate marketing is about to get crushed under this. All affiliates work off of individual links that identify a specific user and tie that affiliate's performance and pay to that user. So like we have several Because it has like their email as a UTM parameter, right? Or something like or that. Or some, there has to be some way of identifying that user. So like right now we have a client who does like a bunch of affiliates. Every one of those affiliates, when someone clicks that link, there is a unique ID for that click that the affiliate follows from the click onto the client's website and to the client's conversion end. And so in this world, TBD, what level of tracking is available? But if an affiliate gets paid on a CPL or a CPA, and all of a sudden the click tracking, which has so far been like the bread and butter, like the tried and true way to not lose like tracking, like that gets blocked, like what's going to happen? So the full effects of this will only be seen in the coming months, but there are definitely some areas and some businesses that are going to have to get, get with the program, figure out what this looks like and make some serious adjustments. So I guess the question I have is why did Apple target these environments? Why SMS, why email and why, I guess incognito browsing, fair enough. I'll give that one to you. That seems fairly user-centric. Sure. Why, yeah, why email and SMS? Like, why is this where they're starting? Because it seemed like we were talking before the episode that the long-term goal is to consolidate as much information within Apple and take it away from everyone else, build the value in Apple's ads, their DSP, the placements that they're selling. Why is this the next step they're taking? What's the strategy? Okay, so... It's important to note that like part of the reason why Apple is able to make some of these changes is because they own 
their entire ecosystem. And so the controls that they are enacting are specifically around their, so it's their messaging, their mail. Yeah. It's it, not the Gmail app. It's not the Gmail app. It's not Outlook. So yeah. if you have an OS device and you install a Gmail you are not going to have the same restrictions in Gmail as you do inside of your Apple Mail. Yeah. If you use a different like messaging platform. If you're in all in on WhatsApp or something like that. WhatsApp, like I know a ton of people who do that. Android has several different options where I don't have to use the default Android messages. There are other third-party apps. So like what Apple is doing is tightening these constraints inside of their apps. Now you could say that this is like user privacy, certainly how they're positioning to people. But there's not really a reason to limit click tracking of messages versus anywhere else. Like, why isn't this all clicks across all devices yeah. in all environments? In Safari. Like, why isn't this broad Safari? Like, why is this only in their message, their email app, and not every single email that is ever sent across all apps or all incoming and outgoing traffic? iOS 14, yeah. is that all inbound, outbound traffic? Let's take like a quick moment and zoom out. If these changes, email marketing, SMS marketing, affiliates, let's suppose their business is hurt by this. If my affiliate program that was trackable, that was relevant, I am no longer able to track or I, my results fall off a cliff because of the blah, 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 whatever, like. I'm probably going to look to reallocate my ad spend into other places that are either more measurable, more talkable, or if Apple all of a sudden says, hey, we actually have an email marketing platform and we're going to blah, 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 or we have an affiliate marketing program and it's all going to be private click measurement, right? Like the underlying text to all of this is Apple will offer a competitive product to the other ad services out there that this change is blocking. And it might not be tomorrow. It might not be this calendar year, but bet your bottom dollar that in the next two to four or five years, Apple will have a full ad offer across everything. And they're going to say, we have our own ecosystem and our own reporting and our own systems. And we don't have to share data with anybody because it's all our platforms. Yeah. And so if you want to reach our users, you're not going to get any tracking anywhere else, except for if you buy shit from us. Sounds a lot like Google, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, maybe this is a good segue into Google because we all know for years and years that Google has been anti-competitive. Yeah, wait, we're not even going to talk about the Apple new AR headset that looks like totally useless, no added value. You want to talk about that? Not really. Let's go on to Google. <laughs> so like we, we've known that Google has been anti-competitive and they've been making these moves. There's also been tons and tons of papers where Google has favored their own tech. And after a two-year investigation, the EU has finally hit Google with a $1.7 billion fine and has formally charged them with anti-competitive and antitrust violations. And so one of the things that was most interesting, I read a couple of different articles. There's a really good article on Reuters about this. But the antitrust person at the EU said that behavioral remedies are insufficient and that they would likely require a divesting and a breakup of Google instead of these behaviors. So Google can't just say, we're sorry, we'll do better, we'll change. We'll change. And so like the backstory to this, like the bigger picture is that these investigations have been going on for two years. In the first three months of this, 
Google came to the table and tried to negotiate, tried to have these behavioral remedies. The EU investigators and regulators got real sick of Google's shit because Google was trying to make non-material concessions. Oh, we can change this little thing and we can change this little thing. But the regulators saw that there were deep problems and that the concessions they were getting from Google were not going to be sufficient. So they said, no, thank you, Google. We're going to do our investigation. So this is finally two years later, come back. And so they've now said, Google, you weren't willing to do it before. We don't think that any behavioral changes are going to do it. So therefore, you must break up. Now, Google will have a chance to like rebuttal all of this. But from what I'm reading, like the case is pretty clear cut. They have data, they have evidence, they have cases. Like there's really not a lot that Google is going to be able to say to wiggle out of this. This is really interesting because this sets a precedent for the U.S. where, the, where Google is currently under antitrust litigation. And they're like really trying to evaluate like what's happening, what isn't true, like how do we remedy this? So I think that like the findings in Europe will probably set a precedence and give a really good framework to U.S. regulators. And if the EU final decision was that the that Google needed to be broken up, that behavioral remedies were insufficient, probably going to be very similar here in the U.S. So that might take a year, it might take two years, but I think that this antitrust formally going through in the EU means that it's only a matter of time before it happens in the U.S. So this kind of begs the question, like, will it really happen? Will Google really get broken? Will they really have to divest this? And the EU lawsuit is claiming is AdX, which is Google's exchange, and DFP, dumb click for publishers or the like publisher side technology, those have to be divested from the ad server and the like DSP. And so this is something I've been saying for literally years at this point. I actually am not convinced that third-party cookies are going to die. And if they do die, then there's going to be some other way to do this like cross-channel, cross-domain, cross-platform measurement. Because like if Google gets antitrusted and all of a sudden the publisher side solution, which has been using third-party cookies or a Google ID, can't use the Google ID because they're not the same company anymore and they kill the third-party cookie. I was having a really interesting conversation with a VP of measurement about how like things like contextual targeting and stuff like that are going to continue to rise in prominence. I wholeheartedly agree. But I think that also there's too much money in the like programmatic auctions to not have some way that all these different platforms talk together and work together. So like those people are just going to roll over and say, we're just not going to make as much money now. Or, oh, we sold. 50% of our inventory in contextual and 50% in behavioral, which by the way would be a lot for contextual targeting, big share. And now all of a sudden, because there's no interoperable ID, we can't sell any behavioral targeting. And we have to go 100% contextual. Or maybe it's that like, we can only sell 20% of our inventory behavioral and the rest has to go contextual. Yep. Asking a publisher to sell an extra 30% or 50% inventory in contextual only without behavioral I don't think that's a change that can happen quickly, but also like behavioral targeting for years has commanded much higher CPMs. A run a display CPM might cost you five dollars. You add on a few layers of behavioral targeting, that's seven dollars. You add on yeah. you know, that targeting to video, and you go from twenty to twenty-five. So and that's because it delivered value. That's because it worked. We knew deterministically 
that these users would be more interested in the ad than spray and pray. I'm not really sure like how this is going to like materialize in the United States, but like we would be silly not to assume that Google will also get antitrusted in the US yeah. and that the things that are happening in Europe will also happen in some way, shape or form. Maybe the US lobbyists are going to be a little bit better. How they're going to mitigate some of the damage, but I can see that for sure. Let's roll into the objections. So when you say, hey, Google is doing this for selfish reasons, the motivation is not privacy. Let's talk about a couple of the, of the objections we've seen. So I think one is just that, hey, it's okay. The industry will just adapt. Like advertising industry has been highly adaptable. We'll just figure out what the next thing is. What's your response to that? I'm about to get spicy. Cool. The person who said that doesn't deal with this day to day and they don't sufficiently understand. Because anybody who sufficiently understands the complexity of this problem and like why this is all happening. Death of third party cookies. Death of third party cookies, these anti-competitive moves, the abuse of Google, like using their like supply side and sell side. Like anybody who understands this doesn't just write it off and be like, oh, the industry will figure it out because the whole problem is that Google has set this path and there's no one really to debug it. Look, why has the death of third party cookies got pushed back year after year? Why did Google launch like 10 bird projects with like Flock and this and Dove and whatever, trying to do this and nothing has stuck. There is nothing. The closest thing that anybody is approximate is a clean room. But if you're not a fortune 500 brand, you're not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a clean room. So there still is no great solution to this. And so anybody who just chalked it up that the industry will adapt, the industry will figure it out. That's copium. They're just trying to cope with the situation. Yeah. So I guess other flavors of this is, hey, contextual cohort targeting direct buys are the feature anyway. So like cookies will die, the industry will just move on. Contextual, I can agree, can and will continue to be in a, a key part of like how the ad industry adapts and there's data that shows that contextual targeting can oftentimes work better than behavioral targeting. But cohort targeting, like cohort targeting is just another way of audience targeting. And so whether that data is coming from like amalgamated data, like flock, or whether it's coming from like a third party data segment, like somebody somewhere is behaviorally segmenting users. So if the real cry is that we need to go privacy first then cohort targeting isn't really any different. It's just a different flavor of audience targeting, just not using third-party cookies, using a different identifier. So I don't have a lot of support or love for cohort targeting because it's just third-party cookies, different wrapper. Yeah. And direct buys, guess what? Direct buys use a fuck ton of proprietary data and third-party data. Also, as an advertiser, if I need to spend $3 million on video, I'm not going to go buy 50 different publishers direct. Not to mention there's hundreds of thousands of websites. The scale of advertising, I don't think can accommodate a shift away from audience targeting without a lot of time. And, and look, we've had lots of time and maybe the industry yeah. is ready. I, I'm not in those conversations. Yeah. But it feels like digital would go back to like this 1950s. Like digital would feel a lot more like running billboard ads in some way. Exactly. And I just don't believe that advertisers who spend billions and billions of that you get $750 billion a year are going to accept that more than 50% of their ad spend just goes back to billboard standards. Yeah. If and then at that point, the... products have to get more expensive. 
that does hurt everyone. Advertising efficiency goes down, so you have to spend more money, which means you have to charge more money for your product. Because they're not going to, they're not just going to let that eat their margin. They're going to maintain their margin, which means prices go up. It's basically a tax on advertising. And so I guess there, there are solutions. There's not going to be one direct solution, but like, I, I continue to maintain this. And if you want to fight with me in the comments or you want to come on this podcast and talk about it, I'm not convinced that third-party cookies will actually go away. And if they do go away, Google's still going to need to figure out some way to talk to the sell side that's now divested from the buy side. There has to be some sort of interoperable tech or ID and probably not one solution for everybody or across the, right? But like, yeah, change my mind. Yeah. So I guess next objection to this is like more on the measurement front of in the flavor of a dive room. Hey, measurement is going to be more fragmented. So we're just going to pivot to more probabilistic measurement solutions. Use AI ML to fill that gap. Look, for companies who want to try and do that and try and solve for that, by all means, we use TapAd as one of our cross-device providers, and they use a combination of deterministic and probabilistic methodologies to identify users across devices. The companies like them who have already been doing this, they are going to have a significant leg up on anybody who's trying to innovate and trying to do this. Also, people often say that like third-party cookies, like they have their own flaws and problems and it's still contributing to like your data being out there. But I actually think I'm going to make the case that third-party cookies are much safer than most other types of data that could be used. Yeah, especially where I think it's, Someone said, hey, like who, as a user, I never gave my consent to have an identifier attached to my digital activity, but at the same time, it's an anonymous identifier and I don't really have a right not to be identified if I'm on someone else's property, which is what me visiting websites is. And so there's a lifespan on those. You can delete them, you can clear them and it's all anonymous. So what would have happened? I go to a website. And they have a third-party cookie on me and that company gets hacked. They have an anonymous ID that's tied to a cookie or maybe a device, but I can delete that. I can refresh that or it's going to naturally expire after a certain yeah. time. But what happens if instead of a third-party cookie, we're using some other form of identifier? So a couple of the common things that have been put out there, companies like LiveRamp and LiveIntent, we use hashed email. And so instead of being my email address, there's a numeric code that's tied to my email address or other identity graphs. But if you got the key for that. Right. They're with the right type of encryption cracking, like you could crack that. But like, also what if I instead got a unique ID that was like first party that the company was using that was tied to my PII, my phone number, my address, credit card information. Yeah. And that company gets hacked. Hacker could still turn that ID back into my personal information if they have access. The security risk of other types of identifiers, whether that's a first party ID or whether that's like a hashed email, the security risk is much, much greater than a third party cookie. Now, that's like on a website property, but what about like the identity graphs, right? LiveRamp is a really great example. Everybody under the sun has their data stored in LiveRamp. I have never given LiveRamp permission, but I guarantee there's at least one company that has my email address somewhere that's given it to LiveRamp. What happens if LiveRamp gets hacked? Everybody's real identifiable information for Scott Konopass, who lives in Salt Lake City, that information is available. So the security risk is just so much greater that you could make the case, hey, it's stronger. Oh, like it, it 
less risky for the publisher. But the reality is, as a consumer, my risk is much, much greater with the identifiable information being there. So like people who say some of these alternatives like might be able to better about privacy and effective ad targeting. Look, ideally, but consent is the major thing. The only way to get this perfect solution is get users to consent to it. But how do you get users to consent to this thing that they didn't know is happening in the first place? If you gave people a list of all the ad tech companies that have their personal information, first name, last name, address, phone number, email, you'd be like, who the fuck are these companies? I never heard of these. I never gave my information to these guys, right? I don't know. How do we undo 20 years of ad tech building to accommodate privacy? And the answer is slowly and piece by piece over another decade. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, and if you're looking for a better way to prove that your campaigns are working and find the best ways to optimize spend, we invented bimodal attribution so you can see exactly how ad spend turns into results and make more of your campaigns. You can learn more about PMA at mintmeasure.com. See you next time.